Hey, uh, Steven, where the f*** is Eric? I don't know, man. It's every week with this guy. Like, he's just late all the time. Is there, like, a specific reason? I mean... Kingdom Hearts came out this week. You don't think he's playing Melody of Magic, do you? He might be. Wait, I'll just... I... Oh my god, he just messaged me. He says he's stuck in traffic. Oh lord. <laughs> that lame excuse. Yeah, I don't buy that for a second. I mean, he says he'll be here in two hours? What the f... Oh my god. <laughs> oh, we can't... Yeah. We can't do that. Could we try recording on another day? No, no, we can't. I gotta, I got a date tomorrow. We've never just done the two of us. I, I don't know. I can't talk to you for that long. We need a third person to bounce it out. It's just creepy, like two people talking. I mean, I know, like no homo, bro. Like you know, you're my friend, but like that's a little gay. Yeah, you're you're like my acquaintance, but yeah. you know, nothing too close. Because you know, yeah, yeah, dude, dude, I know. Listen, Cherry is like in the studio right now. We should get her in. Oh, yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, that'd be fun. Okay, wait, wait. I'm, g I'm gonna go get her. All right. Hey, Cherry, can you come in? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our executive producer, Chari. Hello, I am here to replace Eric permanently. <laughs> now, as our executive producer, you have been here for every recording. You've just been, you know, working the soundboard and everything. Obviously. We're finally letting you on mic for the first time. It's good to be here. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> You're welcome, boss. <laughs> uh, guys, I'm sorry. We just, uh, there's another issue. I'm, I'm reading the script right now, and somebody said nothing happened this week. So, oh, yeah. The PlayStation 5 and Xbox, whatever the new one's called, it just came out. So how about we like do a retrospective discussing like this entire generation, you know, the games, the stuff, the way the gaming world has changed in this period. How about we just discuss all that stuff, what we liked, what we didn't like, and what we hope for the future. Yeah, that could work. I mean, you know, there's never anything to talk about at the start of a new console. No new games, no exclusives. So, like, yeah, let's just look back. Yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, by the way, Charlie, did you get that PS5? Uh, why do you taunt me so much? I'll never have a PS5. Why? What happened? I think bots happened. The rise of the bots. Does any human actually have a PS5? I, I want to ask, does any human being that has ever existed purchased and own a ps5 all the people online that have them i think are skynet honestly like <laughs> there's just something suspicious about anyone who managed to get their hands on one so here's an interesting question if we're going to be doing a retrospective on the last generation is it possible like can we say that the new generation has started if no one's allowed to buy the new consoles <laughs> Like, it's just as started as it was before they actually came out. That's true. It doesn't count until tomorrow. <laughs> All right. Well, that means this is perfectly timed then. Uh, I don't remember. Was there this scalping issue in the previous generation with the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One? I feel like scalping has been around since at least the Wii, because I can recall being a little kid and GameStop being like, haha, sucks to be you. We're out of Nintendo Wiis. And then you just go on eBay and you're like, oh, okay, and they're just $1,500. That's the new normal. <laughs> yeah. But as for the mainline consoles, I mean, that's Nintendo's shtick, like limited availability. They produce three consoles and they're like, okay, that's it for all of America. We're done. <laughs> Fight amongst yourselves. But for Sony and Xbox to not be able to keep up with the stock, 
I don't know if that's a result of COVID or if that's because of bots, because we know with all the uh, NVIDIA graphics cards, it's just been bot nightmare. Absolutely. But the thing I really don't understand, like I can understand even purchasing graphics cards and I mean, NVIDIA cards. I absolutely understand the scalper's mindset when purchasing like limited uh, Nintendo stuffs, like actually limited games that are going to be gone from the shelves uh, after March. Or, uh, you know, <laughs> that mini console thing that they just released, the, the Game & Watch with two NES games on it. So I understand scalpers. Like, I am not supporting them in any way, shape, or form. What they're doing is morally wrong, I think. But I can understand their mindset in that particular instance. However, buying up PlayStation 5s and Xboxes, it doesn't click in me because those are mainstream consoles and it's not like Sony's gonna say okay we've made like a hundred PlayStation 5s that's it we're done you can buy them until March and that's it no <laughs> they're gonna be making them for at least 10 more years so what's the point in buying them up right now if the supply chain is gonna be back in like a week are there that many people who are so hungry for Demon Souls on PS5 that they're going to pay like $1,000 for a PlayStation 5? I, I don't see it. I don't see it happening. I don't understand the mindset at all. I think it's people panicking because for some reason when Christmas comes around, people get into this crazy mentality and their little kids are like, Dad, I want a PlayStation 5. And they suddenly have to get that PlayStation 5 or Santa is going to absolutely ruin their dreams. Yeah, but it's going to be back by, by Christmas. It's going to be in stores back by know. Christmas. It has to. I mean, that would be so stupid if Sony doesn't like get them all in stores by Christmas or Microsoft for that matter. That's the thing, too, is scalpers. I mean... I guess anyone who's panicking in that situation doesn't exactly know it'll definitely be there by Christmas. And then if they end up going the scalping route, I'm sure scalpers are going to jack up the price right before Christmas, too. Even more than they already are. <laughs> I think at the end of the day, these scalpers are going to be left holding the bag. I mean, you saw that guy. There was a guy on Reddit that was like, I have 50 PlayStation 5s. Fight me. But is he going to be able to flip all that stock? Because he might be just left biting it when the consoles eventually come back and nobody's fighting and tearing their throats out for a PlayStation anymore. I hope so. <laughs> this didn't happen with the PlayStation 4, right? I don't think so. It just came out and everything was fine. I don't think it was to this extent because there were sources saying like, oh my gosh, the PlayStation 4 won't be available in this holiday season of 2013. But at the same time, I don't think it reached this fever pitch level of pandemonium. Yeah, but it's also kind of a good thing just to rub it in into people's faces who've been saying this for the past 10 years that gaming is dying. It's a dying industry. I mean, everybody's uh, switching to mobile phones and stuff like that. I mean, are you sure about that? Look at these sales. Look at people not being able to buy one of the most popular consoles in the world right now. I, I wouldn't say this is a failing industry, so at least there's some good. And what's happening yeah and i think the playstation 4 and the switch's sales numbers really reinforce the fact that gaming has never been at a higher peak yeah I, as i believe at the end or at the beginning of this console generation there were concerns about uh console gaming kind of dying due to uh the mobile market coming up because i 
Like, I think that was probably at the heart of a lot of the supply issues for the beginning of this generation. And I remember this generation also started with like an inordinate, uh, an inordinate amount of uh, like ports and remasters and stuff like that. And uh, yeah. I, I feel like there was probably a lot of panic about that, but they shouldn't have expected that for this generation. I was uh, reading uh, D- Jason Schreer's Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, I think it's called, his book yeah. about the industry. And the start of it takes a good chunk to focus on um, analysts saying, like, uh, gaming isn't going to make it. The Xbox One won't sell any units. Nobody cares about consoles Well, that part was anymore. true. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> the Xbox ended up flopping. But even 50 million, even if it reached that, that's still impressive for a console where they got up on stage and were like, TV, 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 NFL. And they had no games. Yeah, and they were also selling it on, like, we're going to have our boot on your throat constantly whenever you try to do anything <laughs> with our console. Yeah, I hope you you like discs with DRM. <laughs> it absolutely is. I think that's, like, that moment, Steven, that you uh, mentioned, that was E3 2011? No, it was 2013, I think. Yeah, I think they only announced it a few months before it came out. That's when like uh, Xbox shot themselves in the foot. That's the point after which they never recovered. But here's a question I want to ask you guys. Maybe you know more about this than I do. It seems to me that the PlayStation 5 is more of a drastic leap forward compared to the PlayStation 4 as to the PlayStation 4 was to the PlayStation 3. Because I've actually read some opinions online with people saying, oh, why should I get a PlayStation 4? I mean, the games look just the same as they did on the PlayStation 3. And uh, suspiciously enough, I've been reading the exact same things. I've been reading people saying, oh, I I don't see the difference between Spider-Man, Miles Morales and Spider-Man, you know, the regular one on the PlayStation 4. I mean, they look like the same to me. So... I don't even know what the question was. <laughs> is, <laughs> is this a bigger jump from PS4 to 5 than 3 to 4 was? Yeah, but not in like technical characteristics because we know uh, everything about that and it's pretty much true. But like in the eyes of the mainstream audience, because it seems to me that this launch is way bigger than the PlayStation 4 launch, but at the same time, it it doesn't like feel that drastic. I don't know how to explain it. I mean, everybody, everybody's like, oh yeah, the PlayStation 5, yeah, yeah, it's out. So is the Xbox, but the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One release felt more grandiose. You guys get that feeling as well? Yeah, and I think that's because they don't have any major scale launch titles. Yes, that's like, it. Both that's it. systems had things to be like, look at these open worlds. This couldn't have been done on the previous generation. I mean, the PS4 had knack, so. Oh, yeah, obviously. But this time it's just like, play your old games, but better. Yeah. And that's the console launch. Maybe this is a controversial opinion. I actually think that's a really good thing. I like that that is kind of the big thing they're pushing this time because every other console launch, I've always had a hard time getting really excited for it because it doesn't necessarily feel like I'm buying an upgrade. I'm getting something new. It's just like, okay, this is, you know, all the new games that are going to be coming out are ransomed behind this new box you have to buy. And I don't mean to make it sound like sinister. That's just the reality of the situation. But it just felt like an expense I had to make to keep playing games. This time, I'm. it, it feels like an optional upgrade upgrade that's actually exciting because if i buy a series x or a ps5 i get to keep playing all my old games but better 
that seems like something I yeah. could actually get into. And there's an immediate, you know, sale for that. There's immediately, there's an immediate benefit rather than, you know, there's plenty of games that I've played on PS4 or, or whatever that, I mean, really feel like they could have been on PS3. They wouldn't have looked as nice. They, you know, maybe wouldn't have ran as well. But like, you know, it just, it doesn't feel quite the same, I think. Yeah, I think what you said is actually really interesting. How previous, in the previous generation, both major consoles did not have backwards compatibility with the previous one. But uh, this time, they do. Yeah. And it's like nearly perfect backwards compatibility. Pretty close, yeah. I think that's definitely a factor in like the sales. Yeah. Also, just going back for a second to what you were saying about why this one doesn't feel as grandiose, I think a lot of that has to do with the really bad uh, marketing and messaging that's been going on. Because the last ones, they were announced at... Uh, E3 in the very traditional way. There was the huge press conference, very flashy, very showy. And then, like, especially with the Xbox One completely botching its announcement, there was yeah. a lot for people to talk about and speculate on and get excited. Whereas this one, we didn't know anything until I think like close to the end of September or middle September, maybe. And it was just sort of like these live streams and these little things that trickled out. The Xbox One ended up getting, or the Xbox Series, whatever, ended up getting leaked. So that was definitely not, you know, very <laughs> exciting, uh, climactic. And I feel like that kind of impacted the way that the, it feels like these consoles have just sort of like dribbled out. Yeah. I would say that's more the uh, cause of it than the lack of launch titles. Because, I mean, I feel like traditional wisdom on any console launch is that there's never any good games really like aside from mario 64 on the n64 i guess <laughs> is there any other launch game people still remember or talk about really much knack knack oh, the, oh i forgot you got me on knack <laughs> i'm looking at the playstation 4 launch titles right now and there's really in terms of exclusives you've got what's it kill zone shadowfall which isn't this the game that's not compatible with playstation 5 Oh, it might be. I'm not sure. Let me see if I can find that. Yeah, I think we talked about that on a previous Temcast. But yeah, it's mostly multi-platform games such as Assassin's Creed 4, Battlefield 4. Um, what else? What else? Uh, Just Dance. Uh, who cares? Need for Speed Rivals. Oh my god, that game existed in <laughs> Warframe. I think, I think the Xbox did better in terms of launch titles than the PlayStation 5 somehow. Because why is this... Page not loading. Okay. Uh, it looks like Killzone will be playable on the PS5, by the way. Okay, that's great. Uh, good to know. So, the <laughs> Xbox One, it had like Dead Rising 3 and uh, Killer Instinct. Well, in Killer Instinct was marred by the uh, controversy as well because when they announced that at E3, it was, I can't remember, maybe there was a small fee or it was free to play, but basically it came with one character in one stage and then you had to buy every other character piecemeal. You had to like assemble the game yourself. <laughs> so that, uh, that on top of all the DRM stuff they announced, that game got completely blasted and kind of ruined in the eyes of the public even before release. Oh, Watch Dogs was an Xbox One exclusive as well, like a time to one. Was it really? Oh, wow. I didn't know that. But it was also available on the previous generation consoles, weren't they? Oh, uh, Watch Dogs? Maybe. I believe you're right, yeah. But, but so are most of the games, uh, most of the new launch titles. Yeah, Assassin's Creed 4. Most things, and Destiny. They were all, like, weird, like, play it, but at a slightly higher resolution. Uh, no, it says here it was uh, came out on the PS4 and Xbox One at the same time. Watch Dogs. Yeah. It was, uh, and then it came to the Wii U a little while later. <laughs> I did not know Watch Dogs was on the Wii U. 
Ah, the Wii U. So did timed exclusives start this generation? Was that a thing in like PlayStation 3 or 2 days? I mean, there were games that would come out on one console and then eventually be ported to another. I don't know if they were announced as timed exclusives. Like, like I know House of the Dead Overkill was Wii exclusive and then eventually made it to PS3. Same thing with No More Heroes 2. You can even go back to like Resident Evil 4 was a GameCube exclusive when it launched and now it's on everything known to man. So like, but I don't know if if they used that term uh, timed exclusive back then, like they were flagging up that it wouldn't be exclusive forever. Yeah, I think the timed exclusive stuff started with Call of Duty when uh, PlayStation had that agreement with them. And then at E3, you started seeing that blue splash screen saying timed exclusive right before every announcement at E3. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And even then, that was uh, it was DLC, I think, that they had timed exclusive on, wasn't it? Not the game and itself. And maps, yeah. Yeah. So stupid. I remember one exclusive that really pissed me off. And it wasn't even like this generation. It was the previous, previous generation. It was uh, back in the days of the PlayStation 3. It was Batman Arkham Asylum, where there was like a segment that was a PlayStation 3 exclusive, which was a segment where you played as the Joker. I hate that stuff. That's so annoying. That it's that is it's really stupid. Like what? It's still to this day only locked on the PlayStation 3. The only way you can play as the Joker in Arkham Asylum is just buying a PlayStation 3 and finding a copy of Arkham Asylum. You can't do that any other way. That pissed me off so much. Even on the uh the re-releases, the remasters? Yeah. Oh wow. The remasters are just ports of the PC version of the game. Wow, that's really stupid. <laughs> but that stuff is still going on today because uh, Spider-Man is only in the PS4 version of Avengers. Who cares about the Avengers? Nobody, no, it's a flop. Yeah, but they wanted people to care about it. Wow, Eric would be crying if he, <laughs> if he heard you say that. <laughs> I think that's Jordan. Same person. That's true, but I don't know. At the end of the day, uh, that stuff just bothers me because it, it doesn't even feel like it's enhancing the value of the PS3 or PS4 version. It's just devaluing the other ones. <laughs> and I guess you can argue that that's the same thing and it's a semantics argument, but I do think it's a little bit better to frame it that way because it, I mean, playing as the Joker, it doesn't feel like a small thing. It's not like a little tiny add on that's coming in as a DLC or whatever. It seems kind of important. It's kind of a cool moment. Yeah, I miss the way the uh, older generations used to kind of handle exclusivity, like with Soul Calibur letting you play as Link on the GameCube. Yeah, but every, yeah, but yeah, exactly. Every console would get their own exclusive character. One wasn't inherently less valuable than the other and still charging the same price. Yeah, it just gave you incentive to care like, oh man, I want to play as Link or oh man, I want to play as the Xbox character. Like you get excited. I think it was Darth Vader. Oh, wow. You see, that's cool. Like you get to choose... It's not like, oh man, now I, I'm corralled into getting the GameCube version. You're excited either way. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah, it's a cool little bonus for anyone. Like, yeah, that that is really a better way to handle it. I mean, ideally there would be no exclusive content, you know. I, I I'm not a fan of the way games are getting carved up more and more, but at least there's that's a little bit more palatable. Right. Alright, so how about we leave consoles for now? And talk about the other things that happened this generation. Not just, you know, the consoles, but, you know, things that might have changed the gaming world for the better or for the worse. I don't know. Still too early to say. But one of these things that was introduced this generation was virtual reality. So do any of you guys have any experience with VR? I've got an Oculus, the 
version one version like the uh development kit the um (laughs) yeah i made my own vr games i created vr actually she's also the senior editor of facebook (laughs) no because i remember like the first oculuses were the ones you got by being a backer on their kickstarter or whatever oh i just meant the original rift i i came late to the game in vr and i was like you know, I like this Rift One thing. Let me go buy it used from a seller and then quietly replace the face mask in it. <laughs> yeah, but you guys, do you guys feel like VR with Oculus, with the HTC Vive, with Valve, you think it left like a major impact? Do you think it's going to be uh, something that's going to be expanded upon even more this generation? Like this next, I don't know. Are we in the next generation or not? I'm confused. There's always this weird limbo because people will always be like the last gen or the current gen and you don't really know what gen it is and it really doesn't matter to you personally until you've jumped into that gen but i would say the ps5 and the xbox series x and s are out so this is our new gen we're in the ninth gen now yeah current gen is ps5 and series i would say so on the vr thing real quickly um i'm sure Chari has more to say than I do because uh, she actually has one. But Jim Ryan, a few weeks ago, uh, PlayStation CEO, said that he doesn't think VR will be a meaningful component of interactive entertainment until at least 2022. He thinks we're still that far out from uh, VR really mattering in the gaming space, which I thought was kind of interesting, seeing as Sony's been trying to sell them since, what, 2015, 16, something like that? Yeah, talk about not being confident in your product, but this is coming from the people that shot the Vita in the face. Yeah. (laughs) But I don't think he's necessarily wrong. No. The Oculus Quest, I think, really helped push VR forward because a lot of people are like, oh, I have to have a gaming PC. I have to bar it down with wires. And then the Quest is like, no, man, you can play it wire free. And I think that made it more accessible to people. As far as VR games go, there's already some amazing exclusives worth having, but I think the only people that care are hardcore gamers because neither of you have a VR headset. Nope. We're not hardcore gamers. We're just plebs. <laughs> yeah. Clearly. No, I'm not getting one until Fortnite is in VR. Oh, man. Candy Crush VR or die. I want to buy my loot boxes, but in VR. <laughs> yeah, I want to open them with my own hands. I feel like there's like this barrier of getting into VR, and it's the price of admission. Because like, if you want to have a good, like the best possible VR experience, you're going to need like a, a good graphics card at least a 2060 at least like an i7 or a good amd ryzen processor you're gonna need at least 16 gigabytes of ram and that's not even counting the headset itself which of course now we actually do have like cheaper headsets uh, i've seen ones made by uh, lenovo i think and hp yeah. go for like 300 and 200 dollars yeah so at least there's comp- somewhat of a competition in that range, but still, it's too high compared to something like, you know, a PlayStation 5 or an Xbox Series S. So that's an issue. But when when you go to the, uh, the cheaper side of VR, you have Facebook and you have this mandatory Facebook login in order to use your Oculus uh, Quest. So there's that aspect as well. Yeah. You gotta sell your soul to Facebook. And when you go to the way cheaper side, you got the Labo VR. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. 
Yeah, I have the uh, the one the Google Cardboard, the OG Labo experience. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and you know what? You know what? It was pretty cool. It's a shame that Google just gave up on VR on mobile phones because I felt like that was the future. Because these phones, my phone can run Genshin Impact right at 90 FPS at uh, you know full HD quality. Yes, yeah. it does turn into a piece of lava in a, after a couple of seconds dude it'll just give you a nice tan while you're playing <laughs> yeah and play a little genshin impact go out looking all sexy it'll be perfect <laughs> keep you warm in these cold winter months <laughs> yeah yes yeah, so save a ton on uh heat <laughs> you know yeah but these snapdragon processors they're still getting better every year and i think the oculus quest actually utilizes a snapdragon processor so i thought that was the future you know you're gonna have a mobile phone it's gonna be like a game console it's gonna be like a vr system it's gonna be all in one but no google literally the only company that can make it happen just gave up and i'm, <laughs> I'm still pissed yeah google likes to just throw in the towel when they get bored i feel like they're they just have their hands in so many projects and they just come sweep around and they're like uh, this is boring, uh, kill it, which is why I don't think Stadia is going to be around for long term, but, you know. Yeah, it seems like if it doesn't land right away, then they just give up. <laughs> Sony's kind of bad about that, too, with a lot of things. Like, they gave up on Move for a while, they gave up on the Vita pretty quickly. I'm surprised they're still doing VR in any way at all, honestly. I think they're just afraid Microsoft's going to enter the market, and so they're going to have to have it. Like, better <laughs> have it early and hold on to it and not be... not look like an idiot when Microsoft reveals their HoloLens or whatever for commercial use. Yeah. Do you think PSVR has made it more uh, accessible for people? And just in terms of, like, it is kind of the ease of use and simplicity of a console. And I believe it's relatively cheap uh, also. I think it is too, but I don't know. I never considered the PSVR, like, something viable. I always saw it as, like, the cheap alternative. You're going to get motion sick. You're just going to, like, hate yourself and be like, man, why didn't I buy an Oculus? <laughs> yeah. But that could just be me being elitist and a PC gamer. <laughs> I'd argue the opposite, actually. I mean, I've... Yeah, I've heard like good things about the PlayStation VR with the people saying it was their first VR experience and they've said good things about it. And and they honestly don't care that it's got like a 1080p screen. It only goes up to what 60 hertz or maybe 75, I don't remember. Like it's not top of the line, but it's still like an entry point to VR. And hopefully I I really hope that Sony like uh, makes a proper VR headset that won't cost like the same price as a PlayStation 5. <laughs> right. I mean, they did add the adapter to allow your PS VR to work on your PS5, right? Yeah. So that's they're carrying on some level. It's not like they're just like PlayStation viewing it or Vita-ing it and being like, okay, off you go. Goodbye, down the river. Yeah, it, yeah, which is surprising, but I'm glad they're trying to stick to it in some way, even if they don't think it'll mean anything for another three years. <laughs> so I think it's going to be uh, essential to talk about Valve, because they have been like a key part in keeping the VR industry not just alive, but interesting as well. With I think they're the first gaming company to release like a major AAA title that's completely VR exclusive. 
like out of the box you cannot play half-life alex uh without vr yes there are mods right now but it takes away a lot from the experience and from what i've seen like i'm a big half-life fan and i'm you know, it hurts my heart that I can't play that game yet. From what I've seen, the way they implement VR, like as a gaming mechanic, it's it's really interesting. And I just want to see more people make interesting games like that. You know, not just a roller coaster VR a simulator or whatever. Just more games like that. And Beat Saber also is a, quite popular as a VR title. Yeah. I think it's the most popular VR game, you could say. I think that's the one everyone pulls out when they're like, bro, why do I want a VR? The first answer is almost always Beat Saber, because that's an experience you really can't get on consoles. Because a lot of these games, like you said, they're just like roller coasters, like experience XYZ in VR, or play game you already played, but in new viewpoint. But stuff like Beat Saber or Super Hot or Half-Life Alex, those are things that are enhanced by the platform they're on rather than just being as a result they're in VR the end. So another thing that was introduced in the previous generation is the concept of mini consoles. Which for those of you who have been living under a rock, I'm talking about stuff like the NES Mini, the SNES Mini, the PlayStation 1 Mini, even recently the Game Gear Mini and, you know, the Turbo Graphics mini i think that came out so have any of you guys ever owned like one of these mini consoles i had the old at games one this was before any of them started really doing the mini craze this was like at the end of the 360 era wow where sega was like okay let's put like sonic one and two and knuckles because three doesn't exist three never exists <laughs> they slapped it on one of those little plug and play tv things and you could play a few ROMs, and it was horrible because it could not emulate a Sega Genesis to save its life. <laughs> then it apparently took five years to learn how to emulate old 90s games. It is weird that they would release a product expressly for that purpose that couldn't emulate those games. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. These plug-and-play consoles have existed for a long time. So like, it, it just seems all, all that changed this generation was that the original console manufacturers started making them and actually making them look nice. So... I don't know. It just seems like they're maybe meant to be more like of a uh, just a cool thing to have under your TV. Like, I, it wouldn't ever really be the best way to play those games or to, uh, you know, it's not something you'd bust out regularly. But if you just have it in your room, it's kind of an interesting little art piece or whatever. Yeah. And I think a lot of parents go for it, too, because they're like, oh, man, look at this. I played Super Mario World when I was a kid. Let me voice this on my own child. Yeah. <laughs> and there is, of course, the modding aspect to it, where it is kind of cool to be able to have a little Super Nintendo that, you know, can hold every NES and Super NES game. Right. It's like a, having a little retro pie, but might be a little easier to, or at least easier through the perception of casual people. Yeah, exactly. It basically comes with a retro pie case. Yeah. And a pretty darn cool one. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the most valuable part of like a mini console, in my opinion, would be the controller, I think. Because you're getting basically almost the same thing that uh, was released 30 years ago, but it's brand new. I think w what people said when the NES mini release was that the, the new NES controller was basically almost the same as the old one. It had like a really good D-pad and mushy buttons or whatever. So I, it, 
I think that's worth at least $100 for like two brand new NES controllers. Yeah, but the plug on them, it's the same one that goes into the bottom of a Wiimote, like to connect the uh, the, nu- uh, the nunchuck to a Wiimote. So you couldn't use it on an original NES and you can't plug it into your PC or anything. Yeah, I don't think anybody's using like an original NES other than Eric and some other speedrunners. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know. They're cool little controllers, but there's just not a lot of application. If they were USB, um, then I would agree because you could use them on your PC for emulation and stuff. But you're best off getting an 8-bit though. Yeah, probably. It's probably cheaper, also, right? Like, yeah, you don't have to buy the entire console for it. I actually mm-hmm. was trying to find a PS1 Classic recently because that one did have uh, USB controllers, and I missed the window perfectly where like I used to see them around everywhere for twenty dollars and I didn't want them and then as soon as I did they were out of production so they're back up to like a hundred on eBay. <laughs> Just go look at your local landfill. <laughs> <laughs> Good call. <laughs> Wait, didn't the PS1 classic come with like a non-standard dual shock? I mean like not a non-standard one, but one without analog buttons? Yeah, it was the very original one that didn't have the analog stick. <laughs> Why? That's so stupid. Why? I don't know. Because Sony hates you. Yeah, they do, as evidenced by the PS5 launch. <laughs> Sony is more interested in accumulating tears and pain than they are money. And Eric isn't here to defend them. <laughs> Suck it, Eric. This is just the episode where you get to rail on PlayStation for three hours. I am down. This is the episode <laughs> I was born to be in. <laughs> Vengeance for the Vita will be had. <laughs> hey, Vita was part of the last generation. Should we talk about the Vita? The failure the absolute best console of all time the only console to ever rival the greatness of the wii u the grand (laughs) holy playstation vita hey you know what hardware wise really good console it was this is the first and only handheld console like mainstream handheld console with an oled screen okay it's 2020 and still there's no OLED screens like on a Switch or on a Switch Lite. They still use, you know, terrible LCD technology. Ew. <laughs> ah, those blacks, they're gray. They're not really black. Ew. I remember when um, I got my 3DS XL and I was playing it and I was in a grocery store and I was just like, wow, this thing's neat. You can do 3D. And then I saw another kid like across the aisle and he had a PlayStation Vita. And I remember thinking, holy crap, this looks like some dumb Lego toy compared to that sleek, cool-looking, <laughs> futuristic console. And then, like, a week later, Sony was like, we are discontinuing the Vita, it's dead, never speak of it again. And you could just see the crushed remains of the Vita being swept under the Sony carpet. Yeah, but here's the thing. The Vita, it didn't really die like like that in a snap. It wasn't... Sony didn't, like, say, okay, we're done forget about it they released like a revision to the vita which was worse it had a a small a a worse screen that was using lcd technology for some reason and it also was like three millimeters thinner whatever it was called like the vita slim the vita 2000 yeah (laughs) let's just make the vita but worse (laughs) exactly that'll really sell units let's take away every redeeming feature the vita had over the 3ds (laughs) Oh yeah, the price. The price though. Didn't the Vita launch at two fifty? Yeah, but the three DS launched at two hundred, or something astronomical. I, they might have been the same price, honestly, for all I remember. The three DS got a price cut after that. The Vita never got a price cut. It got a worse version. That's it. Hey guys, this is Alan John from the future. 
I was editing this podcast and I listened to my statement about the Vita not getting a price cut and I decided to do some research and lo and behold, the Vita actually got a price cut in 2013 in August. Its price was lowered from $250 to $200. And also the price of the memory was reduced by $5. Thank you. Oh, and also, a Vita without a screen at all, or buttons. It was called the Vita TV. And I think it was a Japan, Japan exclusive. Maybe not. It's not, because I kept finding them at Target, and I kept buying them for $10 in the clearance bin. <laughs> I own four Vitas. It's, there's a problem, too. Wow. You need a backup for Persona 4 Golden before it came to PC, I understand. I know. I mean, honestly, I like the concept of the Vita TV. I don't know how much they retailed for, but you could get them at either Target or Walmart for about $10 when they were, like, absolutely floundering. You'd get a DualShock, you'd get a copy of MLB 2K13, you'd get the Vita TV and a 4 gigabyte memory card for 10 bucks. You can't really beat that. No, that's pretty unreal, honestly. The Vita was doing the Switch before the Switch because it actually had the capability of connecting to your TV but you needed some kind of adapter for it, and it sold only in Japan. Again, Sony, what the hell? And you could actually like connect a DualShock controller through Bluetooth, connect your Vita to your TV, and play like almost console-like games on your TV through your handheld console. PlayStation got three-fourths of the way to a Switch, and then they were like, nah, JK, we're not ready for that. And Nintendo was like, "Oh, I see what you I see what you're putting down. Let me just uh, copy your homework, friend." Yeah. They 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 did the other quarter of it as the Wii U before eventually reaching the Switch. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know what they needed? They needed just one thing, and the Vita would have been a success and we'd be all enjoying our Vita 2s right now. They just needed one thing. It was a Metal Gear game and a Wipeout game. And that's it. You needed Kojima yeah. to make MGS5 a uh, Vita exclusive. <laughs> yeah. That would have saved it. You're right. The industry would have been saved. VR would be dead, and <laughs> Vita 2 would be our savior. I like the idea that like Kojima was so out of control with his budget on MGS5 that Konami fired him and like blacklisted him. But I like the idea of them coming to them, of them coming to him and being like, "You got to crunch it down to a mobile game now. Like you can't even fit it on a console properly." Apparently, this is. I don't want to get into this too much, but. Uh, I remember back in the day when there was this entire ARG going on with Ground Zeroes and the fans of pain, you know, yeah. Ground Zeroes, it was just called that. People thought, okay, oh, so this is the new Metal Gear game. That's that's cool. But then at the same time, Kojima, well, not Kojima, but some other studio started showing off this game called The Phantom Pain. And people were confused. They was, they thought, okay, so what what is this? Is this another is this a Metal Gear spinoff? What, what's going on? What is this? And they released like a short trailer showing the first segment that happened in the hospital. And I I still remember this thread. I remember people like taking screenshots from the trailer, and it was like. Th- 720p screenshots because back in the day you didn't have like 4k on youtube and people were detailing it counting the polygons and saying dude this is a vita game (laughs) this is the metal gear game that's going to be released on vita i'm telling you metal gear the phantom pain it's going to be like peace walker dude but 
We all know how that went. So on the subject of the Vita and what would have saved it, I think even more than Metal Gear and uh, Wipeout, I think an SD card would have saved the Vita, <laughs> honestly. I think that proprietary storage was probably the hardest thing on the Vita. Maybe, I don't know. Like I, I, It feels like it is, but I don't know. Maybe more casual people would have stuck with the little discs and everything, and maybe it's not as big a deal to other people, but... That, that's always been my biggest issue with the Vita. Yeah, I think that is definitively the reason why people didn't buy them, because at least with the 3DS, you could just pop in an SD and it'd be fine. And the Vita relied really on a lot of digital downloads. So many games were digital exclusives because they were... The Vita's biggest thing was Japanese games. And so many games just, they were like, okay, we can't afford to print this on a Vita physical release. Just put it digital only. And then you'd have to be like, oh, you're juggling your games. You're like, oh, man, do I want this Uncharted card game? Ah, get rid of it. Okay, now I got to get SAO. Ah, crap, now I'm out of room. Now I got to delete this for this guy. It's funny you mentioned that because exactly this generation, I mean, sorry, previous generation started the trend where almost all games are available for download. And some games that uh, sell physically are just a code. You just buy it at GameStop and then you put in the code in your console and you download the game after that. Discs are now just a download code, but with extra steps. Yeah. yeah. Basically, yeah. Even in cases where uh, it's not something like like Tony Hawk Pro Skater 5 famously had uh, just, I think it was like one level and the level creator on the disc. And when you put it in, it would download a day one patch that was the <laughs> entire game. <laughs> even, even outside of cases like that where the actual game is on the disc, you still kind of need to like you still need to install to your hard drive, and so that takes a ton of time, and it still takes up hard drive space. It's really just a slightly less complicated way of downloading a game, I guess. <laughs> it's a really weird way of going about it. I mean, digital downloads are pretty much... I think most of us don't want to say digital is the future because we like our game consoles. Some of us especially will fight to the bitter end for preservation, but at the same time, what's yeah. the point of preservation when the downloads don't, or the discs don't do anything? They're just downloads now. I mean, I should share my perspective on this because you guys, I suppose, are mostly console gamers while I'm like, I've been a PC gamer for almost my entire life, primarily. This is actually exactly what I was going to ask. When was the last time a PC game actually came out on a disc? I'll tell you. I want to say it was actually Metal Gear. No, no. I actually know the answer to this question. It was Microsoft Flight Simulator. Oh. And it came on like 25 or something DVDs. Because in the <laughs> PC gaming world, for some reason, you still have just normal DVDs while everybody else has Blu-rays and stuff like that. But on PC, I think it's because of some EU law that Microsoft had to put their game on a disc and they like legitimately released Microsoft Flight Simulator in its entirety on 25 something DVDs. So Is that the recent one? Like Yeah, yeah, this this is the one that came out recently this year. Oh my god. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, and yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> imagine installing a game like that put in CD2, now CD3, now CD4, now CD5. Oh. I don't even have a disk drive in my PC. Because no, I did it. I I used to, but then I bought like a new case for my PC, and I, there's nowhere to put it. Like there's no opening for the CD <laughs> drive, so I just threw it away. 
<laughs> Too many RGBs, not yeah. enough disk drive space. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I've been like downloading games uh, legitimately through Steam for a very long time. Not just because I'm a PC gamer, but it's difficult to find like legitimate copies of games where I'm from, from Eastern Europe. This was the only way I could legitimately purchase a game without being a filthy pirate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's also the argument, do you really own a game if yeah. you don't like own it physically? I mean, do you? Do you? Oh, that's, that's getting me back on my whole DRM GOG thing, because I don't feel like I own a game unless I have it uh, from GOG, really. Because <laughs> I download backup installers of all of those. I have them on a big hard drive. I'm, I have them uploaded to a... Uh, cloud storage as well as backups like <laughs> that's how i feel like i own games these days anything else doesn't really do it and even then what if who knows skynet takes control and then there's no more internet or something what are you gonna do or are those installers are gog installers do they have to download data or are they just the straight up like exe all condensed uh yeah they don't have to download any data i don't believe oh well that's more useful yeah I, I, I could double check. I don't exactly 100% know, but yeah. I always appreciate GOG, but then I look at Steam and I'm like, bro, you got all those achievements. You got a nice little front end for all my games. Got controller support also for every controller ever. Yeah, I, boy, I love plugging my Wii U gamepad into Steam and using it. Yeah, you can. You can do that. That's the most interesting thing. Yeah. I didn't know that. Um, so before we get too far from digital downloads, because like you said, this was the first generation where every game is, is uh, available for download. I think like Guitar Hero Live is the only one that isn't uh, downloadable in any way. And that started on the last generation, but it was, I think the Wii U was actually the first console that made a point of saying every single game we've released will be downloadable. How do you think that's affected the industry, the like the way games are released? Because it's much easier, like Charlie was saying, to import Japanese games. Uh, do you think that could lead to more variable pricing in games rather than the fixed sixty slash seventy dollar price that seems like we always have? Like digital games have a little bit more variance in their pricing. I think uh, it's certainly easier for indies to get out there now. Like half of the games that end up blowing up wouldn't like Minecraft never would have been big if downloading oh, yeah. games wasn't so easy. Yeah. Same with Stardew. Or Undertale. Undertale, yeah. Like do you, I, I feel like that's been one of the biggest things to this generation because I guess on the 360 there were there was like XBLA, but I don't think indies were really embraced the same way they were this generation back then. I think there were a few little indie darlings like Bastion or Braid or such, but this is the generation where I think indies just, you had Kickstarter, you had this or that. Everyone could spread indie games by talking on forums, on Reddit, on Twitter, and word could spread like wildfire. And that's what sparked interest in a lot of these indie games like Celeste. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what a success story every popular indie game is, if you think about it. Like Undertale made by one guy who did all the music. All the graphics, all the programming. Well, somebody helped him with the programming, I, I think, in the credits. It said, mm. now that guy has such a legacy. I mean, people are still talking about Undertale. And it came out like five years ago, maybe more. No, it was 2015, yeah. But yeah, like he has a character in a song in Smash. He, he did the score for a Game Freak game, didn't he? Like, that's it's crazy. Yeah, Little Town Hero. He works at Game Freak. Oh, does he? Oh, okay. I thought they just contracted him out. No, but uh, Stardew is a similar thing. That was just one dude, top to bottom, one guy who made that. It took him like five years. He just set everything aside and dedicated everything to Stardew, and now he's a multimillionaire off of it. Like, <laughs> yep. Yeah. 
Meanwhile, Notch is it's just crazy. sitting in his Beverly Hills mansion off Minecraft royalties for the rest of his life. Yeah. And uh, we kind of touched on it for a second, but I want to go back to import games, too, because I feel like Japanese games have been blowing up more and more lately. I don't know. Maybe it's just that just I've been exposed to them more. It's not like a sector of gaming I've been paying more attention to. But it's so easy for games to get... Well, not easy, but it's much easier for things to get uh, imported now. Like, I don't think something like... Uh, Disgaea would be getting as many re-releases as it does if everything relied on physical, right? Right, although I think every Disgaea game is on a disc or cart. But there's so many games where usually companies are like, it's not worth the money for us. Like, I mean, there are stories where Exceed nearly went bankrupt over localizing Trails in the Sky uh, second chapter. Wow. Really? And now all these companies can be like, okay, we can just release it digitally and our supporters will loyally buy our game and we don't have to do any disc printing. Yeah. And there's even situations like, was it Clannad or uh, Little Busters or something kickstarted its localization? Yeah, Sekai Project just threw Clannad on Kickstarter and they're like, oh, maybe we can get like $10,000. And suddenly they got $300,000 to translate this game. I just wanted to inquire for a second. You guys keep talking about these import games. Are there any, like, Japanese exclusive franchises that became mainstream after all these region-locking stuff ended? I don't know if any of them have, like, blown up and become massive, but I know Danganronpa took a while to get over here, and that did pretty well when it came. Oh, yeah, that's the one. That's the one, yeah. Danganronpa. Yeah. I guess this would have been previous generation, and it, it doesn't specifically have to do with digital downloads, but uh, Xenoblade, that was something that Nintendo kept in Japan for a while, and then people had to... Remember, there was the whole Operation Rainfall yeah. thing where people were begging Nintendo to bring uh, Xenoblade over here. Eventually they did, and now like it's been remade twice, Shulks and Smash, it's got two sequels. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I kind of wonder if it's just me being biased because I've been jumping into so many visual novels and JRPGs, or if that is a result of there being so many visual novels and JRPGs being brought over and with how popular they're being. I mean, Persona 4 came out on the Vita and people are like, yeah, okay, that's cool. And then Persona 5 came out on the PlayStation 4 and that's suddenly like the greatest holy RPG to ever exist. And everyone's talking about JRPGs like Nier Automata. And that's now getting a remake of its first game because it did so well. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think if the if the path wasn't paved by some of these other games that were coming out digitally, I don't know if yeah if people would be talking about Nier or uh, Persona Five the way they do. Yeah, what I was gonna say before too, in terms of um, you can look at something like uh, is it called limited run yeah. games? The people that do uh, physical games, the games that are released digital only and then get physical collections. Pretty much everything they do, you could say, is a game that probably wasn't big enough to get its own digital or to get its own physical release, and then blew up in spite of that, and now people are demanding physical releases from them. So, like, you can look at most of their catalog as digital success stories, as games that wouldn't be big without without uh, digital distribution. Yeah, and man, does limited run games do some really good work. Like, going back to Clannad, they just shipped out their Clannad physical edition, and the only other way to have owned that physically would have been to import a Japanese copy and shove it on your shelf. But this is the fully English translated one. They even make sure they go out of their way. Because like I was saying about how discs are just broken digital downloads at this point. They make sure to put the patches on the carts. They make sure all that data is available to the player. Because it's not just a fancy thing to put on your shelf. It's a preservationist copy. Mm. Wow, that's really cool. Along with digital downloads, another quote-unquote feature that 
this previous generation has gave us is a term known as microtransactions and also stuff like season passes, online passes, loot boxes, battle passes, all the passes, every pass, you get a pass, I get a pass. Everybody gets a pass. <laughs> Except these companies that keep pulling crap <laughs> for predatory. We're not giving them the pass. Started off, I think, with Team Fortress 2 going free to play. And after that, you started to see uh, more games popping up that are quote unquote free to play, but offer, you know, uh, more XP, more weapons, more, you know, whatever, cosmetics most of the time through microtransactions. You know, these predatory free-to-play games, I'd say, because you think it's free, but they get you later in the microtransactions. Yeah, because they're designed to pull you in and to have you constantly thinking about these things that you need to purchase and kind of ruining the... Well, I shouldn't say ruining, but it's it's designed to manipulate the way you think about the game and to constantly pull at you while you're just trying to enjoy something. To, like, try and pull you back to the store, try and get you to spend more money. There's a lot of these games with passes, and the microtransactions, I think, are pretty garbage. I don't think many people are going to argue in defense of predatory costs costumes like being able to put your guy in a yellow hat oh my gosh that's fifty dollars in a loot box hope you get it but i do kind of appreciate these battle passes it's like almost online games have all become mmos in this weird way like i like rocket league and genshin impact and both of those have like monthly tier systems where you just get more stuff for subscribing for like it's like five dollars a month or 15 for a season for rocket league which is basically half a year and I like those. It feels like, okay, there's extra content to get. But it's a really fine line to walk. So many companies mess up when they're trying to get this right, and then they just end up EAing you, and <laughs> you're suddenly paying $400 because you've gambled your life trying to get Darth Vader. Yeah, that's the thing. So a lot of people will say with Battle Passes that uh, usually like whatever money you put into it, you can get it back out at the end of the season so that you can purchase the next Battle Pass. And people say like, oh, well, that's worth it because, you know, if you work towards it and do this, this and this, then you can earn your money back. And I, I understand that perspective as like, oh, OK, well, then it's not that bad of a deal. But it just seems like it's all designed, like I said, to keep you there, keep you invested in that ecosystem. Because as long if you make that initial investment, you know, you have to work to get your money back in order to make the season pass worth it or, you know, to be able to get the money back that you put in that's more time that you're spending just playing their game ignoring competitors seeing all the other like cosmetic stuff that they're trying to push on you being invested in their ecosystem and their storefront and it just seems like it's just a way to like keep you around so they can keep selling to you more and more and more and more yeah i mean i'm sure it's all they've gone through every little bit of psychology 101 that they can to keep you invested in their game specifically yeah and i mean if there's if it's a free-to-play game then like i guess that's the cost of entry that you need to deal with that but and like you know, I'll say I, a lot of people can probably ignore it. But I, there are people out there that are just like designed to be vulnerable to this. Like it's designed to kind of exploit them. And I'll say I, I don't generally spend money on games like this. But like I used to play a lot of Fortnite, and I'll say like every time you're playing a game, it kicks you right into that storefront and has all these big flashy colors trying to pull you in. These like costumes that look cool and fun, and they're all timed so that y the second you see one you want, you get scared and you're like maybe I'll never see it again. Maybe I should pick it up. But like you know that you'll probably end up with a giant log of costumes that you'll never use, and I don't know it. it it's I don't know something about it. It's just it. I'm sure it makes them a lot more money than traditional monetization, but it just 
it I think hurts the experience so much more. Yeah, I had this weird experience. I was playing Rocket League. I got back into it right before it was going free to play because it was like, hey, get your last chance in, your last hurrah before the season ends, and it goes free to play. And I was like, sure, why not? I love Rocket League. And I've been out of it for a while. So I started playing it like every day for maybe a month. And then I realized, like, I was thinking about it. Like, I turned off the game and I'd be like, man, how am I going to get that really cool jet booster? Oh, man, I really want that skin for my car. Mm-hmm. And I was starting to argue in my head, do I want to pay, pay money and buy that skin? It's only around for another three hours. What if I don't get it? What if I don't see it in the shop? And I had to be like, hold on a second. You're considering paying $20 for a little cosmetic for a little toy RC car in a video game. Stop. Yeah. And and you might find a cooler one the yeah. next day and then never use the one that you just spent $20 it's on. Just, I know this is a result of Fortnite. And it's just this perfectly designed loop to really prey on anyone that has like these latent gambling issues in their blood. And I'm part of that yeah. crowd. And I can tell. And I can just barely pull myself away and be like, hold on a second. You just go play something else. And I stopped playing Rocket League. I quit like that minute. I was like, no, no, I'm getting too into this. I went and played another game. And a week later, I saw Rocket League in my Steam library. And I was like, huh, yeah, I really was going to buy that car skin for $20. (laughs) What an idiot past me was. Yeah. And it's worth mentioning, like, there are stories that come up a lot of there are kids that will overspend on their parents credit cards on like fifa and stuff like that but it happens to adults too there are stories of people like you said with gambling addictions that will just go overboard on these games and wind up in debt and you know you can sneer at them and say like wow they're idiots they're stupid but it they do it feels like they're being exploited yeah i think it is designed to take advantage it's um, it's almost certainly predatory And it's not like these people go into it like, yes, I want to waste all my money. I want to be poor and in debt. They're just pulled in by the strategy of these game makers. And it is their fault at the end of the day for not having the self-will to pull themselves out of it. But sometimes you just can't help it. Like, sometimes you're just out driving and you're like, bro, I want McDonald's. And then do you fault those people for being stupid enough to not cook for themselves? No, they just got pulled in by the flashy sign. Yeah, exactly. Like... I don't know. It, it, it just, yeah, because especially like video games are a good way. I've heard of people that might be trying to overcome an addiction investing in video games because there's so easy to dump time into them and it's a good, great distraction. And then all of a sudden these games are now trying to pull you in with the same stuff. Like <laughs> it's stuff that I think kind of started on the mobile market back in like the Candy Crush ish days. It seemed like that was sort of when a lot of this started. Yeah, it was like mobile gaming went from paid little $3 apps like Angry Birds. And then suddenly they realized, well, we can make $3 per sale, or we can make $3 per minute by selling different colored costumes. And it just was a big, slippery slope snowball that turned into this current day market. What do you think is better? Is it better for these microtransactions? Because they're going to stay for quite a while, unfortunately. They're going to be an essential part of gaming, like it or not. But what do you think is better? The system where, hey, there's this uh, skin you can buy for $20 right now. You you just give us $20 and it's going to be yours right now, instantly. Is that better? Or is it better to have a system where 
you have to pay like two and a half dollars to open this one box and it might have the skin you want it might have something completely worthless but you know but it's a lot cheaper the, the one system that has loot boxes and does it quote unquote right in my opinion is team fortress 2 and counter-strike global offensive for a time because you could get like a very valuable skin and then sell it for real money and you will have that real money be it on the steam marketplace or on other market sites on the internet where you could sell your skins however in a game like overwatch for example you open a loot box, you get a very rare skin for, say, a character that you never play and you don't care about. Cool. You have no way of selling that skin. That's it. It's on your account. The money that you spent on those loot boxes getting that skin, gone. You're never going to see it again. All right. It's only going to be in the format of this skin and those other like sprays or whatever you unlocked along the way you can't even sell your blizzard account because that goes against their terms of service that's it it's done so what system in, in those examples that i gave you which do you think is better i suppose being able to sell the stuff that you don't want to use on from team fortress 2 or counter-strike is better because it gives you something out of it when you know you just end up dumping a bunch of money and getting nothing out of the loot box but and i'll say i'm not super familiar with team fortress 2 or counter-strike myself but anytime there's like a real money exchange for in-game goods, I get suspicious because I remember Diablo 3 had the uh, real money auction house and Blizzard changed the way that loot drops worked in that game where people were finding themselves getting more and more items for characters they don't use, stuff that they wouldn't want, just want to immediately take to the real money auction house because Blizzard got a cut of those sales and it so completely changed the loot system in that game and made it a lot worse because Blizzard was trying to push people towards the sales that they would get a cut of. And so I don't know if Team Fortress 2 or Counter-Strike does a similar thing where maybe you do get extras of items that they don't think you're going to want to use to try and push you away, push you towards selling them rather than giving you stuff that you might actually Oh, enjoy. absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. It gives you extras so you could utilize the Steam community market. Absolutely. You're right on you're right about that. Yeah. And that again, it's just it, it just hurts the progression of the game like and yeah. That's it's a problem, I think. <laughs> Outside of the gameplay elements of it where you're getting screwed on your loot drops, I think you almost have to classify that as gambling. I like that system where you're free to cash out, but you almost have to consider it like actual gambling and classify it as that. Exactly. And then suddenly little 12-year-old Timmy can't play uh, Team Fortress 2 because it's an adult-only gambling game. <laughs> and I don't think they'll ever let that happen because it limits how many people can actually play the game, and that's never something a company wants to do, even if it's the best way to handle loot boxes because man if you can't do anything with a loot box if you can't even trade it uh, out for a better item because rocket league has prevented this you used to be able to get loot box drops then you could trade them to another player for a loot box you or a loot box drop you did want and now it's just locked to your account forever you can't do anything with it yeah and i hate that yeah. at least let me get rid of it don't 
shove it down my throat and force me to have Doesn't it. Rocket League also do a thing where they give you a bunch of keys to unlock loot crates so that you'll be looking at your inventory and you're like, wow, I have all these keys laying around. Maybe I should go get a couple crates to open them with. Otherwise, they're just, you know, burning a hole in my pocket. Th that's actually the antiquated system they got rid of because they believed it was too predatory. Ah. And now it uses the Fortnite because they got bought by Epic. So now it's just the exact Fortnite system. Oh, right, right. Yeah. How do you guys feel about, there's a big controversy with a lot of uh, these microtransaction games and loot box games. It was a, a, a way a lot of people defended Overwatch when it first came out. If it's just cosmetic, they say, oh, well, it doesn't affect gameplay. It shouldn't matter. Is there anything, do you think there's anything to that argument that loot boxes and all these things are okay if it's not pay to win? It's just cosmetic stuff? It's better. It's not perfect, but it's better than characters like how Battlefront 2 locked behind its cast through paywalls and RNG. Yeah. I'm more willing to tolerate it, but I don't think it's the best solution. Yeah, I, I agree with you because I, I just there's a lot of games where the cosmetics are such a big part of it. You look at something like Mario Odyssey, and it's so fun in that game to find new costumes constantly. I was always switching out how Mario looked, and like it was, it's a silly thing that doesn't affect gameplay, but it's just fun to be able to do that, to be able to customize them a little bit, make them look how you want. You get it changes up. Not the gameplay, it changes up just the way it feels a little bit every time. And like, I don't know, I really don't like the idea of cosmetics being locked away because they are such a cool, fun thing to do in games. Right. I I really like cosmetics and I'm sure that's by design. They really want you to enjoy how your character looks. And they can just take charge of that and make you pay out the nose. And it's kind of sad because games used to incorporate so many cool costumes or like, press A twice on the main menu and you'll unlock a costume for your character or big head mode or stuff like that. That's just totally dead. And yeah. now it's like, oh, get it out of a loot box drop now. <laughs> or Genshin Impact. Like, Genshin Impact just has a battle pass. Not only do you pay $5 a month to get better item drops, but you also pay, you can pay $20 per season, basically. And a season is like, a month and okay. what it does is it gives you 20 levels in a battle pass so once you max out the battle pass then you get the fancy glowy item at the end and it's like ooh, but you can just <laughs> pay to not have to do that and it's a lot of monotonous grinding and you can tell they designed it to be a lot of monotonous grinding because you play for that whole month and it's like okay you got three days left to grind out this battle pass and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to make it. Now I just got to buy it so I get the glowy item. And that's the predatory kind. Because, I mean, at least Ubisoft's case in the division is it's optional. You, you can still play through it or you can you might not have the time. You can buy it. But Genshin times it so specifically where it's like, this is limited. You won't get this. You're going to miss out. Buy it now, you loser. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And that was by intent. Yeah, it, it's designed to make you frustrated and to make you want to just pay to get ahead of it. <laughs> so, I don't know. That, that still just seems as predatory to me, like you were saying. And I mean, that goes back to Battlefield 2, where it took how many? 40 hours, I think, to unlock Darth Vader if you were just playing that game normally. <laughs> yeah, 40 hours. Can you imagine all the games you could play or experience in 40 hours, and instead you spend it all on one game, trying to get one character out of... Goodness knows how many. Yeah, but at least you get a sense of pride and accomplishment by the end. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I get that. Yeah. I get such a joy when I press that A button to select Darth Vader. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna sit back and gonna brag to everybody about how uh, about how I unlocked Darth Vader the legit way.
I'm going to be more successful on Tinder than when Alan John told that girl he has a podcast. <laughs> oh, snap. <laughs> Boom. But it all comes back kind of to Epic changed that because there was such a backlash against the way that Battlefront 2 handled it. And then Epic was like, oh, hey, guys, what if we made it limited time? You can buy it, and it's only going to be here for a limited time. So that just panics people even harder. Like, there's a no-win yeah. solution. You're just screwed no matter which company is controlling it or what. Yeah, I mean, at least Epic removed the random chance, but... I mean, so it, maybe it's moderately better than the loot boxes were, but it's also not going to attract the attention of lawmakers who are trying to regulate these things as gambling now. Pretty much. It was just evasive maneuvers, not trying to be nicer to the little 10-year-old. Yeah, exactly. Looping it back around to Epic, they're a pretty big company now. I think this whole generation, they have grown massively. Yeah, I mean, exactly. What do we remember Epic as, I mean, before the Epic Game Store? I mean, the Epic Game Store has actually existed f way longer than most people think. Because I remember uh, back when they started development on Unreal Tournament 4 or 5. I don't know. I don't remember. So they started working on this new Unreal Tournament game. And it was like partly made by Epic devs and partly by... The community and the only way you could download it was through the epic game store so okay and it had the epic game store had like two games i think it was unreal tournament <laughs> and something else so why do you call it a store uh oh i'm stupid it wasn't called a store it was called the epic now launcher epic games now launcher whatever it was something called something like that yeah and then it became the epic games store so uh yeah i'm wrong about that sorry <laughs> wow some pc gamer you are yeah seriously when was the day that epic became huge was it fortnite was that one uh, epic became like a major player because before that they were just the developers of Unreal Engine, well. And Gears of War. I feel like only nerds would really know what the heck. If, like, maybe even eight years ago you said, like, oh, man, I really like Epic Games. And people would be like, haha, you use the word Epic more than anything. But, <laughs> I, don't, I mean, only, like, hardcore gamers or total nerds that are involved in the industry would be like, yeah, they're the Unreal Tournament, or they make Unreal Engine, or they do Gears of War with Microsoft. And now they're almost, like, household name level. That is a mad turnaround. Yeah, it really is. It's I, I think it is all Fortnite. And it, it wasn't even technically Fortnite from the start. Because Fortnite was a total flop. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It was Save the World initially. Which, ironically, a lot of the MAG staff seemed to love. Oh, really? <laughs> like, I remember when the Save the World thing came out. And I got, like, three review codes for it. I think Pran's got it. Thug got it. I got it. Another writer got it, and we were all playing it, and we were like, hey, this is neat, but it's not amazing. I mean, this is going to be Epic's biggest thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then they decided to spin their weirdo third-person survival shooter into a battle royale, and somehow that worked out. Somehow. It did. Yeah, I mean, more than worked out. It's the easily the biggest game of the last few years, right? I would say it's defined almost this entire generation, despite existing for the only tail end of it yeah i mean we're gonna feel fortnite's ramifications in this current gen too it's still going strong it's still launched a port to the series x s and the ps5 yeah. 
And I'm sure yeah. once they settle their lawsuit, it'll be back on phones and more money grubbing than ever. Yeah, exactly. Because it was also, I was really surprised when I heard it was coming to phones. That was another big game that, you know, it's not like a hardcore gamer or anything, but it's not exactly what you would think of uh, as a typical phone game, right? I would say no. I mean, I think PUBG was also on mobile as well. Yeah. And that impressed me because I was like, whoa, you can play like real video games on a phone, man. Was that before or after Fortnite went to phones? Around the same time. Yeah. Okay. Probably within months of each other. Yeah. And I mean, tying back to the Battle Pass conversation, Fortnite, I don't know if they invented the Battle Pass, but they definitely popularized it. That was the first time I was aware of something like that. I'm almost certain it existed in the past, but they really influenced the whole market. Yeah. They absolutely did because, you know, and also something very interesting about PUBG and Fortnite, they both run on the same engine, but Fortnite is infinitely more optimized for, I'd say, all the systems. It runs so much smoother. It can run on a Switch even. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's because it's Unreal Engine, right? And Epic is the whole creator of that engine, so I'm sure they know how to eke every last ounce of optimization they can. Yeah, and it also says a lot about the Unreal Engine itself because uh, I think there's cross-play between the mobile version and like the console version and the PC version of Fortnite, right? Yeah. I believe all of them except PS4. No, that, that that's over. I mean, Sony opened Oh, that, up. that got resolved? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. And, but the PUBG though, PUBG Mobile is its own complete thing. It's its own game. It's got its own like seasons. It's got its own competitive mode stuff like that in tournaments and whatever there's no interplay between the pc version and the uh mobile version so there's that but you know we're, we're talking about PUBG, fortnite we even mentioned minecraft guys what do you think the previous generation were the most influential games that came out that changed the gaming landscape forever that's a really difficult question because we've already covered Fortnite, but what what existed before that? Because we have basically a whole entire eight years we're discussing. I mean, 2012 basically to 2020, and all those uh, games... 2013, the new consoles came out. Ah, okay. Still, that's a very long amount of time for a generation. Yeah, absolutely. The only thing that comes to mind as, as huge as Fortnite was in the mainstream is Minecraft. Yeah, which was yeah. 2010 or 11, I think. So, like, def technically on the tail end of the last generation. But there was definitely a big rise in uh, survival and crafting games this generation, which I'm sure was completely due to Minecraft. It was partially due to that. And I also honestly think that the power of the, uh, the uh, generation's consoles being so much more than the previous, it also helped because now you can have these open worlds these massive open worlds with you know you can edit the terrain somewhat by adding your buildings play with massive amounts of players like up to 100 players or so in multiplayer games so that was definitely a factor i don't think that was possible on a 360 no that's true um going back to fortnite i guess we only talked about its monetization and stuff but obviously battle royale has become a big thing lots of games are trying to jump in on that and i know fortnite wasn't the first one there was h1z1 i think and then PUBG. but again it kind of blew up with fortnite yep 
I agree. I would say, uh, I don't know if this is the exact game, but uh, maybe something like Outlast in combination with like YouTubers and Twitch streamers was probably a pretty influential game because those very shareable videos of people freaking out at horror games were kind of big for a while in the middle of this generation. And then there was a big uptick in first person indie horror games that were like almost trying to play to the streaming and uh, YouTube crowd. I wonder if uh, PT, Silent Hills, was made. I wonder if that playable teaser that Kojima made it was inspired by those indie survival games. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I still haven't played PT. Uh, you can't. You can't even play yeah, it on. I know. It's funny because you could actually import it from your PlayStation 4 to your PlayStation 5, and you could actually play nice. it. But then Konami said no and locked it only for PS4. Yeah. Oh, really? It was available, and they were like, oh, crap, we got we to gotta erase this. They tried to sweep it under the rug like Sony did the Vita. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Vita. That was the most work Konami's done in the video game space in ages. <laughs> it's sad, but it's true. <laughs> like, so many different kinds of games came out. I mean, you could arguably say that there were a ton of uh, competitive games that really took their stride thanks to esports and um let's plays and such becoming so popular hmm. yeah that's true were uh mobas really only a thing this generation stuff like league of legends dota i think those are mobas <laughs> i don't even 100 percent understand the term <laughs> no uh y yes yeah 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 okay <laughs> no yes because <laughs> uh, i thought you were talking about mmorpgs because i i keep kept getting them confused and somebody actually argued with me legitimately on this because so an mmorpg is a game where you it's a massively multiplayer online role-playing game okay that's it a moba is i don't know what a moba is but it's basically like dota and league of legends and maybe something like smite whatever if anybody remembers smite and vaguely and that's a MOBA, but somebody was arguing with me saying that Dota 2 is an MMO, just an MMO. And I'm like, no, no, it's a MOBA. And he's like, <laughs> what does MMO stand for? I said, it's massively multiplayer online. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Can I go on the record saying Fortnite is my favorite MMORPG of all time? <laughs> I mean, you're playing a role. Okay. You're, it's a game. <laughs> you could argue it's it. true hard to argue with so something that stands out to me about what we're talking about with the most influential games is i feel like we're focusing on a lot of negatives there's a lot of like like we'll f talk about minecraft and that's a good game but then we talk about like the slew of like mine clones crafting and survival games that came afterwards we started the conversation off talking about like the horrible monetization and stuff like battlefront 2 and fortnite I feel like the best games of this generation is a very different list than the most influential games of the of the generation. Because <laughs> a lot of the best games that people remember remember fondly and talk about, the industry isn't learning from those games, or at the very least, they're learning the wrong lessons from them. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of games that came out. If we want to talk best games, even a lot of those were just straight up remasters. Yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah. one of the highest games on Metacritic for the PS4 is The Last of Us Remastered. Yeah. <laughs> or the Uncharted Nathan Drake Collection. Or Journey, you know? 
Just so many games. Shadow of the Colossus. These all existed before the PS4 was even a thought in Sony's mind. And yet, here we are. They're the biggest games that people bought. Like, these are games that people are going to remember most fondly. But they're not PS4 games, technically. Yeah. Most influential for me, the best games that I played from this previous generation, probably Metal Gear Solid Five. You know, you could you could argue a lot about that game, and rightfully so. I mean, it's not a perfect game, but I love the gameplay in that game. It's flawless. The gameplay mechanics, the stealth mechanics, it's flawless in that game. You can argue about story, plot being nonsensical, whatever. As a game... That's a bonus in Metal Gear. <laughs> yeah. As, as a game, it's phenomenal. Really. But... Not also that, but also uh, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, which was really good, solid game. But other than that, this previous gen, I don't, I don't know what else uh, was that good for me to remember. Um, Witcher Three stands out as one that, yeah, a lot of people clamor to. But again and again, like I was saying, you can't. The two that stand out to me are Witcher Three, which. I shouldn't say it's one of the best games I've played because I hardly played it, but like I like the idea of it. I like a lot of things people say about it. And the other one is uh, the 2018 God of War. I really, really oh, loved. Oh, yeah. Sony exclusives very, just really good, really. Yeah, and that's because they don't need to screw it up with you know games as service, online passes, all this other stuff because they're there to sell the system so they can actually buckle down and make a tight, focused, balanced game that's not constantly trying to squeeze more out of you. And that's why a lot of these Sony exclusives end up being so good. Because what I loved about God of War 2018 is that it's very small and focused. It uses the budget of a AAA studio to... It's very impressive graphically and gameplay-wise, but it's a relatively small area. It gives you little hubs to explore, but it's not a giant open world. Uh, there's a lot of focus on character and voice acting and stuff like that. Like, it's just not the kind of game you see a lot because there probably isn't that much money in it outside of it actually being good and using that to sell systems. And I wish I could say that I, that I see that as an influential game in this generation because it is one of my favorites, but it's just not, uh, you know, I just don't see that resonating throughout the rest of the industry. Which is kind of sad. <laughs> it is. It really is. Uh, you, Charlie, do you have any picks for best of the generation as opposed to most influential? I mean, best? A lot of them would be, like, smaller games. I kind yeah. of wasn't as interested in all these big AAA experiences. I mean, some of my favorite from this gen were, like, Life is Strange, Sonic Mania. Little games that are almost indie in a way. Dead yeah. Cells, stuff like that, Beat Saber, things that, I don't know, maybe you wouldn't have seen them in a previous generation because of the climate of the consoles, but now they're, they're, these games might not really affect the gen, the, uh, this new generation at all. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's probably going to be the same thing this generation where a lot of the big games are going to have the same problems they always did, and you're going to kind of have to keep an eye out and rely more and more on indies to find quality stuff or remasters of games from, you know, the PS2 era. Boy, I can't wait to play Resident Evil 4 for the 807th time. Yeah, exactly. I can't wait until they do Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3 plus 4. And you say that in jest, but man, that is like my hypest game. Please <laughs> inject that into my veins, Activision. You see, that's the thing. I am hyped for it too, but I don't feel like I should be. I should be looking forward to new games, but I don't trust the industry to make them. I'm just looking forward to them <laughs> making the old ones slightly better. 
There's like only two games I'm looking forward to. Uh, it's Cyberpunk 2077 and uh, Elden Ring. That's a I don't care about anything else. Really. Maybe Demon Souls, but that's not coming out to a system I own anytime soon, unfortunately. Yeah, the PlayStation 5 doesn't exist. <laughs> same, same thing with Cyberpunk, probably, even though you own a PC. <laughs> <laughs> so this brings me to a question of, we talked about the most influential, we talked about our favorites, but what's the most disappointing game of this generation? Hmm. Uh, not for me personally, because I never cared from the get-go, but I think No Man's Sky has to be put in for that conversation. <laughs> yeah, launch day No Man's Sky, pretty tragic. Yeah, and actually, not to get too far from the disappointment conversation, but that's also another thing that games have been doing lately that's kind of new this generation are these big mega patches where games are being completely revamped from the ground up months or even years after release. Because if you look at No Man's Sky now, it's a, reportedly a completely different game than it was, and people seem to be happy with it and like I it. I mean, that's actually a pretty good thing. I mean, they could have left that as is. I mean, of course, it's yeah. on the developers for screwing up in the first place, but at least they buckled down and they were like, oh my gosh, we created a bad product. We owe it to our fans to go back and recreate it, and all for yeah, free. I agree. I totally agree with that, honestly, And because they could have easily made it a No Man's Sky 2, but they did yeah. it all as free updates. There might be some paid DLC in there, I'm not sure, but it's mostly free updates. I think for myself on a personal level, probably not many people are going to agree, but I would say The Outer Worlds is like one of the most disappointing things I played this generation. Wait, is that the Obsidian game? It is. Huh. I played like <laughs> three hours of it and I said, hey, this is pretty cool. It's like a good version of Fallout. I don't care. Wow. I don't. I just stopped caring. I mean, it's it's like Fallout New Vegas if you took away everything that made Fallout New Vegas good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll say in Outer Worlds defense, I guess it is kind of what I was talking about before and that it's a kind of single player narrative focused RPG. I don't I'm not aware of it having like games of service or microtransactions or anything. But your issue with it is just the writing mainly, wasn't it? Or Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't playing Outer Worlds for its competitive hardcore action. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just wanted a tightly written, good lore background game. And instead I got something that felt like it was a word salad at Obsidian's darts game. <laughs> Kind of on that subject uh, with Fallout and everything, I think Fallout 76 is one of my biggest disappointments. Again, a game I never played, but just hearing about it just bummed me out every time I heard more and more information. Because I love Fallout, and Fallout... Well, you know what? Also big disappointment was Fallout 4, for similar reasons to Outer Worlds. The writing in that game was not very good, and the gameplay changes. Really, the only thing they added was settlement creation, which just never made a lot of sense to me. It never was compelling. And uh, so after that disappointment, there was rumors circulating about 76, and that got me really excited. And then it was announced to be kind of an online, it's like what, it's an MMO RPG, it's a crafting game or something? Minecraft MMO. Yeah, but with Fallout and like, yeah, and they it, it showed how little Bethesda understood Fallout because they didn't put like people in it. They like, it's just, you're, there's other players wandering around, but there's, at first there weren't NPCs to talk to or anything. You would get like audio logs and you'd get robots to talk to and stuff. And it just never made any sense to me. That game was a, a really big disappointment. <laughs> yeah, it was really confusing because you're taking a game that started out as a very lonely single player experience of you traversing the 
nuked wasteland of America, and then it's like, what if we put that online co-op in there? Yeah. And try as I might to like 76, I put at least like 60 hours into that mess. Oh, wow. I, partly because I'm a poor sheep for Fallout, but I kept trying to like it, and I kept trying to like it, and no matter what I did, I kept coming back to it thinking like, this is going to be it. This time, I'm going to love it. <laughs> and it was like some sort of weird Stockholm Syndrome where I was like, please, Fallout, let me love you. I want to love you, Fallout. Yeah. And yeah, so uh, instead of talking about bad games, I remembered another amazing game uh, last generation. Well, maybe, yeah, last generation. Doom and Doom Eternal. Those games are phenomenal. I love those games. Yes. More of that, please. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Doom 2016 is amazing. I love Doom 2016 so much. <laughs> I love Eternal as well. I haven't gotten around to it yet. Oh, you'll love it. It's so <laughs> much refined. It's a lot better. Like, if somebody says to me, oh, yeah, Eternal's good, but, you know, the original was better. No, you're an idiot. Stop. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. Eternal is just so much better in almost every aspect. But anyways. Yeah, I can't speak to Eternal, but Doom 2016 was really smart in the way it, uh, it doesn't how fast it is because Doom, the original ones were very quick. You just moved around quickly and everything happened fast. And first person shooters have gotten more realistic and slower since, I guess, around the time Call of Duty became big. And this was really smart in taking like this modern style of shooter and just speeding it up and making it actually feel like the old Dooms, which is kind of a unique feeling. Doom guys faster than Sonic or something. <laughs> probably gotta go fast doom guy for smash that's still my prediction yeah mine's master chief i can't believe we got to say something positive about bethesda <laughs> it's it's not hard it's not easy these days it's really hard that's another thing at the beginning of the generation wasn't bethesda like the darling like they had just done skyrim everyone was in love with them they would, their games would come out buggy and janky as hell and they're like oh that's the bethesda charm that's adorable look at them bless their heart they're trying and now bethesda turns around and people just dogpile on them like they're the new ubisoft or ea yeah they really are and that's another what other companies have done big turnarounds like that i think blizzard's reputation has tanked in the last couple of years yeah blizzard also used to be like they could do no wrong they could slap their fans and get away with it and now they're like is this not a date april fool's joke <laughs> yeah like the whole income the whole entire company is an out of date april fool's joke <laughs> yeah it was that uh diablo for mobile thing and the hong kong stuff yeah Oh, it was that, but it just seems like it's constant stuff. Well, there was a story, I think, a few months ago where they, uh, or I don't know, maybe this was all the way up to a year ago, but they were, Activision Blizzard was reporting, like, record profits, and then they laid off huge amounts of their workforce, and there was some missus who was a community manager for them, I believe, and she started talking about how they were laying off people unnecessarily on Twitter, and her husband was an esports person for Hearthstone, I think, and they banned him or suspended him or something for his wife speaking out against the company on Twitter. Like, wow, it just—it seems like every time they you, they see them in the news, they're just doing something horrible. <laughs> I mean, maybe the, that'll change in this generation once they release Diablo Four. Or they put out any game that someone might like. <laughs> Yeah. Someone? Anyone? They've got Overwatch 2 coming that everyone's really excited for. I don't care. I I, I spent like a thousand hours in Overwatch because it was the new TF2 replacement. It was good. 
but I, I don't care after the Hong Kong stuff. I decided to boycott them. Yeah. And, you know, I, I still kept my word, even though it's not because of my political views. It's just that I don't, I don't care that much about Overwatch. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think many people will stick by them. It seems like as soon as, uh, you know, a company releases a game that they like, people just forget about it. I, I guarantee when Cyberpunk comes out, no one's going to be talking about Crunch, really. Like, <laughs> Unless it sucks. And then it's going to be like, you crunched your employees so hard they couldn't make the game that we deserved. <laughs> we deserve this game but you can see it with uh what's it called assassin's creed now where like ubisoft had all those sexual harassment allegations and they were in deep trouble and then they started doing their ub forward event and no one really mentioned it in the coverage assassin's creed is getting talked about a lot now because well apparently it's very good i haven't played that one and like it again all those controversies just sort of disappear no one really talks about it anymore i mean i just love the new assassin's creed because it's not assassin's creed at all <laughs> That's good, yeah. Uh, th- hasn't that been the case for a while? I always heard the best parts of Black Flag was when it wasn't Assassin's Creed. Yeah, but it still had the Assassin's Creed in it. This one was just like, okay, we got it. You guys like Assassin's Creed, but you don't like Assassin's Creed, so we've created Assassin's Skyrim. <laughs> it's the opposite of an exhibit meme. They're like, we heard you like Assassin's Creed, so we took Assassin's Creed out of the year Assassin's Creed. <laughs> and now they've created the perfect Assassin's Creed. <laughs> Congrats, Ubisoft. You're back to good status in everyone's hearts until you release a DLC for Assassin's Creed, and then everyone's going to round on you for bleeding your customers dry, you absolute monsters. <laughs> but for like the next 30 minutes, Ubisoft's A plus in my book. Oh, good. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> okay, so I think it's time for us to maybe wrap up this retrospective. I mean, just, you know. Oh, we haven't even talked about Nintendo yet. That's okay. I mean, well, in the spirit of the eighth generation of consoles, nobody talked about the Wii U then either. So <laughs> I think we should honor the legacy and not discuss it. <laughs> just, just, I'm wondering, the Switch, where's its place? Is it this generation? Is it next gen? It can't be next gen. I mean, I, be- I believe it's considered part of the eighth generation. Yeah. What do you mean it's not next gen with its Witcher 3 port at 240p and 10 FPS? <laughs> that's the future of gaming right there yeah man you can stream games on the switch so it's up there it's competing with stadia now <laughs> that's what it, that's its real competitor yeah there we go switch versus stadia who will win <laughs> the biggest players well i mean i guess i guess <laughs> nintendo i guess yeah yeah i mean they're there they're doing good but they're just they're doing a uh... they're doing great but you know They've always been, like, their own part of every generation. I mean, it's always PlayStation or Xbox, who's gonna... And Nintendo's just doing their own thing. And they're doing quite well, recently, at least. Yeah, I don't feel like they've directly competed since the GameCube. Yeah, they kind of clocked out. And that's for their benefit, honestly. Because Nintendo always does best when they're free to do whatever the heck they want. Actually, you could even argue they went their own Blue Ocean way back in, like, the N64 days when everyone else... Uh, went to discs and they stayed on cartridges. Because didn't that make it a lot harder for them to get third-party games back then, I think? Yeah, and it shot their relationship with Square Enix right in the foot, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, So, we'll see how Nintendo goes. Maybe we'll do a retrospective on them when the Switch is dead, <laughs> but there's not really much point in talking about them right now. Oh, I'm just gonna say they're gonna release their new 8K console very soon. It's gonna play 4K games, the Switch Pro, 
with DLSS technology at 60 frames per second, oh, it's going to be great. Nintendo's going to win. Nobody's going to expect it. <sighs> can't wait to play all those Wii U ports in 4K. <laughs> oh, man. Can't wait for every port. I just want every port of every Wii U game. What do you mean we already have all of them but one? I need more Wii U games. What's the one we don't have? Uh, Mario 3D World, which is coming out in like two months. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that one's confirmed already. I think they should. I think if there is a Switch Pro, they should port the Switch games to it so we can have like Mario Kart 8 Deluxe Deluxe. <laughs> oh, man. That would, that would be peak Nintendo, honestly. That could honestly <laughs> legitimately happen. <laughs> I would love it. <laughs> so, what console won? This generation, the previous generation, again, I'm sorry. The Vita. Uh, I mean, it's hard to argue with the PS4, I think. Just looking at sales numbers, the PS4, according to Sony Interactive Entertainment, uh, it sold more than 113.5 million consoles as of September 3rd, 2020. Whereas the Xbox One, Microsoft stopped reporting uh, hardware sales around the end of 2015, I believe, when they realized that they weren't going to come back. But uh, estimates have it at around 50 million sales. So less than half of what the PS4 sold. I mean, that's less than the Switch has sold. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, wow, I mean, that's sad. Yeah, and it's it, it is sad because Microsoft really shot themselves in the foot with their launch, but they've been trying hard to gain ground back ever since, and they've been so aggressive and doing a lot of good things between uh, Game Pass, and they've been a lot more competitive with their hardware. Like the Xbox One X was a lot more powerful than the Pro, and. Uh, I don't know, and like they introduced backwards compatibility on the Xbox One when they said they wouldn't be able to do it. Sony never did that for the PS4. Uh, I just, I don't know, they've been doing a lot of things right, and it is a little disappointing that they never got rewarded for it in the end. Yeah, I mean, PlayStation 3 started really badly out of the gate, but they managed to bring it back up almost even with the Xbox 360 by the end. The Xbox One didn't manage to do that in a longer period of time. Yeah. I'd say that this launch, it, it's pretty neck to neck, really. And it's going to be a very interesting generation, this one, after Microsoft's insane acquisition of ZeniMax. It, it's going to be <laughs> very interesting to see who's going to come out on top. I don't, I'm not saying that PlayStation or Sony is guaranteed to win. Like, Previous gen, it was easy. Come on. TV, TV, TV. <laughs> TV, TV. Television, the television. Oh, we forgot about the Ouya, the best console. Oh my gosh, the Ouya is so good that it won both the last generation and the generation before it. And this generation too. I'm giving the ninth generation right now predictions Ouya best console forever. Yep. I'm going to say it's going to be the Ouya U. Oh, snap. The Ouya U Vita <laughs> Stadia Edition. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, I want to puke. <laughs> Does it startle you that bad? <laughs> That's what I do anytime anyone talks about the Ouya. Also, <laughs> I feel you, buddy. Oh my gosh. I have that video in my head where Rocco Bodie from Mega64 pisses on his Ouya because <laughs> it's been like two weeks after he bought it and it still doesn't work. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. funny. <laughs> Anyways. I'm glad we agree at least on something that the Ouya was the best console this generation. I mean, absolutely. But yeah, I'm looking forward to the next one. I really, yeah, it's going to be very interesting. It's going to be very yeah, interesting I'm, given that the PlayStation 5 still doesn't exist. You can't buy them, they're not real. 
Prove me wrong. <laughs> and if you do, you're a bot. I actually have an EOF thread about this. I posted a photo of me and my PlayStation 5. I think you should check it out. Oh my gosh, Alan John, I can't believe you're a bot too. <laughs> it's all a conspiracy. You're all Skynet. I'm the only human here. <laughs> bang, bang. Oh my gosh, you guys killed Eric. That's why he's not here. He wasn't part of your bot legion. <laughs> Yeah, I think the heat in Texas has got into Chari's head a little bit. Yeah. She might need to take a, a few weeks off from being our executive producer. <laughs> I think she needs a little bit of time to relax. Need to head up north for the winter. <laughs> and for the summer. Just stay there forever. Get out of that Texas heat. And just, yeah, forever. All right. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for sticking around this long. This is the longest tempcast episode in history i think so far at least with our tempcast oh, yeah. thank you guys so much for listening be sure to check us out on whatever podcast service you're listening us on and give us leave us a five-star review please leave us a like whatever subscribe to our youtube channel that helps a lot somehow <laughs> and, uh, thanks for listening and uh yeah goodbye. don't believe their lies the playstation 5 is not real goodbye goodbye hey guys i'm here sorry i'm late uh you wouldn't believe the traffic uh wait where are you guys going wait is that, is that Chari? Wait, hey, guys, I'm here. Hey, yo, yo, come back. Where are you going?